0: I heard of a little boy several years ago who came to his mother just before breakfast one morning, and he asked a very simple question, I think one that I may have asked my mother from time to time. He said, Mommy, if I promise to be good all day long, will you give me a dollar? She turned and looked at her son, and she said, Son, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just try to be good for nothing like your father? I have come to know that in many lives of Christians, I mean members of the Lord's Church, people who claim to be churchgoers, we can effectively become good for nothing. You say, "That's, that's harsh. Because anyone who is claiming to be a follower of Christ, anyone who's claiming to try to follow Him, and does anything, you could not say they are good for nothing. Folks, I don't say that. Our scripture reading from a moment ago, you'll remember the words of Jesus when he looked out into the audience. We know today as those who were present at the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith it shall be salted? watch it now, he said, It is henceforth good for nothing than to be cast out and trodden on the foot of And Now, to whom does he speak? Well, Jesus does not speak to the pagans of his day. He does not speak to the irreligious people of his day. He speaks to followers of his. And he said it is possible for them, even as they follow him on outward appearances at least, to become good for nothing. Now, if that's not what Jesus teaches there, I don't know what he teaches. He says we can become good for nothing. Now, what does he say to begin with, however? He told that crowd, he tells us today, those who follow him, if you will, that ye are the salt of the earth. I want to mention to you three things about salt this morning from this text. The first thing I want to notice with you is the design of pure salt. When we're talking about pure salt, we're talking about, as Jesus would speak of, of a salt which is very useful. A salt which, if it is taken hold of, can be of much benefit to our lives. And if we are that salt as Christians, then you can assume we ought to be useful, right? When you think about the salt that Jesus spoke of in that day and you think about it as pure table salt, that's the way we would see it today, you would have to realize first and foremost that salt is that which pleases, is it not? Salt is pleasing, For instance, if you go back in your Bibles and you read what Job had to say about salt, Job chapter 6 and verse 6, he said, Can a man eat that which is unsavory without salt? He goes on to ask the question and say, Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? What Job illustrates here is that salt, when it is used, table salt, the type of salt of which Jesus spoke, that it is pleasing to the taste buds. We realize what salt does. We take foods that sometimes are rather bland, that they're not that exciting, they're not that pleasing to us, and we use a certain amount of salt. Everyone might be different in the amount, but we might use a small amount or a larger amount of salt all to try to enhance the flavor of the food that is set before us. Do you realize that the most people that we come in contact with every day, I mean in the workplace, if school were to be in in school or out in the community, most people that we contact every day do not care whether they go to heaven or hell or not. They have no concern about their future. They have no concern really about the lives that they live. They're only concerned about how they're going to hack it on Monday. They're only worried about how they're going to survive this life. Why is that? Because they do not have the pleasing power of salt within them. They do not understand that life itself ought to be a joy. You remember what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10. We quote it often. He said, I am come that you might have life, but then he goes on to say that you might have it, that is life, more abundantly. Perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul was saying Colossians 4 and verse 6 and told us that our conversation ought to be seasoned with salt. I ought to be able to bring a zest. I ought to be able to bring a flavor to those round about me who look to my life and say that person is involved in something, whatever it is, whatever he or she is following after, it has made their life better and made their life in essence more attractive. Therefore, those people would want to follow us to find out what it was that we possessed. But Jesus said that's what pure salt's all about. But not only is pure salt pleasing, in that day and time, pure salt would have been preserving you think about those men who were there. Now, Jesus is there, as we said a moment ago. He's on that mountain. He's preaching a sermon, so therefore we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And if you go back and do your geography and the study of that, you'll find out if he were on the mountain that we suppose, I believe that he was, he was perhaps looking down directly on to the Sea of Galilee. Historians that existed inside of the first century tell us that at any given time, day or night, even in the early morning hours, upwards of a 1,000 fishing boats were found on the Sea of Galilee at any time. And we can know also that out of those 12 disciples that we can only assume were there with them, out of those 12 we have found that at least five, perhaps as many as seven of them, were professional fishermen. Why do I say that? Because what they needed more than anything in their profession was not the fish that they caught. The fish that they caught were only beneficial if they were able to preserve them. They had no refrigerators. They had no deep freezes. They had no coolers, no way of keeping those fish in their day and time. If they were waiting on a good snowstorm to come so they might collect the snow and the ice, that was going to never happen. And so what would they do? They would salt the fish down. Why? To prevent decay and to prevent rot. Now, why would Jesus tell a group of men then to be like salt? And if he were telling them that, why would they interpret that to mean that they ought to be preserving? Well, they knew then and we know now that without the saving power of Jesus Christ and his word, without Christians being in the world who are putting forth the effort to be that pure salt that we ought to be, the world's rotting away. We're placed into this world as Christians to prevent that decay and that rot. But not only can we see that salt is pleasing, can we see that salt likewise preserves? we ought to also understand that salt had the ability in that day and now to purify. You think back over the times, and you'll remember back in 2 Kings, I believe it's chapter in verses 19 and following, maybe through verse 22. You'll remember there that you find Elisha. He's a prophet of God. He comes down beside a riverbank, a, a set of waters there, and the Bible reports that he poured there a bowl of salt in the water. Why? To heal the waters. Now, what did it actually do? Why, it itself took out the impurities of that in Jesus' day much before and for some time after. When a newborn baby was born, even before that baby would be drawn to the breast of its mother to be fed for the first time, before that would occur, they would take that baby and they would literally bathe that baby in salt because they knew that it kept down infection. They knew that it in turn had the power to heal, that it had the power to purify that baby, to take away the chances of some of those diseases being transferred perhaps from mother to child or some of those diseases being transferred from other siblings in the house to that child. Likewise, as Christians, we ought to have the ability in ourselves to purify the world round about us. When I go out into the world, when I go out in the community, when we go out into workplaces and schools and every venue that we're involved in, when we go there, people's lives ought to be made better just by seeing us. You say, I've worked in this place for so many years and these people have known my life for so many years. They've known my faith. They've known my belief. They know where I worship. They know all of this. And I've never once had any of them to come and worship with us. I've never once had any of them ask me a question about God's Word. Well, if we conduct ourselves right, you may notice that when you walk in the room, sometimes conversations change, don't they? The tones, the words, the terms that are used out in one group, when you enter into that, maybe people begin to hush. Well, to an extent, you're purifying those people. They're learning how they ought to perform, how they ought to live their lives by you. But not only can we recognize in that day salt and in today's times it is pleasing. Is it the case that it preserves, that it purifies? I'll tell you something else about it. It may be negative to you to begin with, but salt pains. You ever cut your finger or something, maybe got a cut in your mouth, and you reach down and you touch that salt, maybe the table salt that's there, the shaker, and when you go to pick it up, a little salt gets in that wound. It hurts. It burns. Mark tells us in Mark chapter 9, Verse 49, he tells us that salt has something to do or is associated there with fire. Why? Because he knew that it burned. What I mean is that when a child of God goes out, when I go out, if I'm living faithfully to God and if I'm trying to deliver the gospel to the world as I ought to be, as Jesus would have done, been going about to seek and save that which is lost, if I'm doing that, people are going to be offended. Going to hurt. You say, Oh, now, if we've got ourselves, if our conversations, as you mentioned earlier, if our conversations are seasoned with salt, surely that should not hurt anyone. Think back in your mind's eye, or even turn in your Bibles back to Acts chapter 2, you'll find out there along about verses 36 and 37 that just before those people asked the question, what is it that we're going to have to do to save ourselves? How are we going to be forgiven of what we just committed, which was actually to put Jesus Christ to death? You'll remember they said there, the Word of God pricked their hearts. I've never known of a time when I've had my heart, physical heart, pricked. Maybe I have. May not have felt it anyway. We've all gotten splinters, we've all gotten pieces of metal, what have you, pieces of wire, something stuck in our fingers, and we know what it feels like. When the Word of God is preached, when it is proclaimed in the way that it ought to be, oftentimes, and for good reason there, it would set to prick those hearts to whom it is delivered. But you fast forward, you see a more negative point of that. In Acts chapter 7, you remember Stephen as they're preaching to a group of people. At one point, the Bible says they began to literally gnash upon him with their teeth. That means they bit him just prior to stoning him to death. The Bible says the word that he spoke cut those individuals to the heart. Now, when they felt the pain of the gospel being preached, when it stepped on their toes, as we would say, when it changed their minds and their thinking about God, they didn't take it in a positive light. And they turned against Stephen. So well, sometimes salt, it pains. I'll tell you something else about salt, and that is that salt itself ought to promote. When people around about us see our lives, they see what we proclaim, and they see the way that we live it. You see, if I go about and claim to have faith, if I go about and claim to be strong, and I claim to believe in Christ and all these things, and then I in turn live my life a totally different way, I'm not promoting anything. If I get in a time of trouble or trial or difficulty and I just kind of fall beneath it and I just say, woe is me, I can't make it any longer, can't go any farther, I'm not promoting anything. But Saul promotes, doesn't he? I have been for several months supposed to be avoiding Saul, not doing very well at all. And I've come to know that the dishes that I want to order when we go into the restaurants, or for that matter, the dishes that Jenna, when she says, what do you want for supper, the things that I tend to want to order up, to say it that way, it's because of the salt content of those things. Because salt is promoting it. Maybe you've gotten to a point, I've eaten in people's homes before, and and they've gotten away from salt. Maybe they've gotten away from using it at all, and they're cooking in the the use of it on the table, and you sit there and think, this is bland. This is not what I'm accustomed to. Because salt is promoting that which it is applied to. But say something more important. I think above the fact that salt itself pleases, therefore we ought to please. I think above the fact that salt has the ability to preserve, therefore we must preserve the world around about us. It has the ability to purify, therefore as we live we purify those. It will sometimes cause pain, therefore sometimes when we preach the unadulterated truth, it causes pain. And above the fact even that we ought to promote, there's one thing that we lack in, I do, and that is that salt... Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. You may not hear it in that phrase, but there's a great truth being taught. You see, when you look at the actual compound, sodium chloride that we know as table salt, there's something that we know about it that's really amazing, really and that is, you can try this at home. If you go home and you take a gallon jug, fill it to the brim, take an old milk jug, fill it to the brim with water, and I challenge you to take a tablespoon. Now, a tablespoon's not very much, but you take a tablespoon of salt and pour it into that gallon jug. Now drink it. I don't care if you pick the gallon jug. You drop the salt in and take a swig now, it doesn't taste very good. You wait two hours, it doesn't taste very good because it's penetrated all that water. You may even look into that jug for a moment and say, well, the salt's falling toward the bottom, so certainly the water that's near the top, it ought not be ruined. But salt is penetrated all the way through. Something I found out several weeks ago about salt in researching this is that salt is one of the very few compounds that we have, that we know of at least, that has the ability to dissolve itself and to penetrate within a liquid, whether it be hot or cold. What does that mean? Well, I don't know if Jesus really intended that to be the thought, but we can understand that there are those in the world who are hot, who are on fire, who are interested in knowing the gospel, and we can go out and we can tell them about our Lord. We can tell them about what God's Word has to say to them, and it can penetrate their hearts. But at the very same time, we can go to those who are cold-hearted those who are unwilling, those who are hard-hearted, who do not want to hear anything about God's Word, and we can continue and persistently go to them again and again, and we can tell them only the truth of God's Word, and there is the possibility, at least always present, that we'll penetrate even that heart. You see, the problem today is that society does not want, as a whole, to be penetrated by the salt of the earth society as a whole, you'll think back if if I were to stand up or anyone else stand up, at least in certain places today, and I preach about homosexuality, I preach about abortion, I preach against adultery, I preach against alcohol use or any of these moral issues of life. You know, in so many places, people will stand up and say, oh, oh, we need separation of church and state. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I got a good idea of what it meant last week. What it means is the state ought to stay out of the church's business. Not everyone agrees with that. We got to go down on the house floor. And one of the things Mr. Harper pointed out to us is that all the way around the top of that particular room, there are little statuettes or, or at least profiles of men's faces all the way around that room great characters that made the laws. Maybe Thomas Jefferson was there. Maybe Abraham Lincoln. I don't know who all it was because the only one I remember that was that as you turn right to the door where those men would enter in, where the president enters in to give his State of the Union addresses, when he comes through that door right above his head, whether he's ever willing to look back or not, was a picture of Moses, a full face of Moses, and they call him the great law giver just gives me some insight what separation of church and state ought to mean. We must be separate from the world, but we cannot be isolated from the world. If we are in that place, then basically speaking, excuse the phrase if it offends you, but we are going to allow all the men and women of this world, sometimes including ourselves, to go to hell in a handbasket. The year was 1985. New Orleans, Louisiana. The Parks Commission came together to have a great celebration. The reason for that celebration was because for the first time they could remember at least, the Parks Commission had gone one entire year, 365 days, without a single drowning that occurred in their public swimming pools. Do you know how they celebrated? They got around an Olympic-sized swimming pool. They invited 200 people who they considered to be important 100 of those people were lifeguards in the city. They celebrated all night. They began to turn off the lights and tell everyone, you know, we're done, we've got to go home. And they turned and looked in the bottom of the pool. And there was a fully dressed man lying face down at the bottom of that pool. His name was Jerome Moody. He was 31 years old. And he died in the presence of 100 lifeguards. You say, what irony in that? I don't know if it's irony, it's sad. Because i tell you something, there are people around about us, I can speak for my neighborhood anyway because of me, there are people around about us, neighbors on every side, who are going to die and go to hell when I claim to be the salt of the earth. Because I'm not actually attending to my duties. Salt ought to penetrate. But that just has to do with the design of pure salt. Jesus goes on here, if we quote it again, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. But then he says, if if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith it shall be salted. Now here's the phrase I want to focus on for a moment. It is henceforth good for nothing except one thing, then to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. There is a design for pure salt, but there is likewise a demise of polluted salt. You see, the salt that should have been that which pleases, which preserves, which purifies, which pained, which promotes and which penetrates, it lost all of those abilities because it lost its savor. Now, understand that some translations translate that word savor as flavor, and there's nothing wrong with that because that's actually what the word means. But the gist of it is that it has, as Jesus said, become good for nothing. Now, in that day and time, they were pretty close in proximity to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea was a place, because of its salty content, no living creatures found in the Dead Sea, both then and even today. Life cannot sustain itself there because of the poisonous power of that salt, But as that salt would be pulled from the Dead Sea, it could be used in their homes. It could be very beneficial for all the reasons we've already listened to many more. But oftentimes what would happen is that salt would wash its way to the shore. Hadn't been collected, hadn't been made of any use as of yet, and if you were to go down to the Dead Sea even today and reach down to the shore there along the dry banks of the Dead Sea and pull some of that salt and put it to your tongue, you'll find it very, very bitter. Because when the sun beat down upon it, the sun would draw many of the minerals and the nutrients out of it that we normally recognize as the flavor of salt. Draws all those things out, leaves nothing but the toxic things behind. Now oftentimes in the homes of these men and women during the first century, they would get that kind of salt in their homes. Had no use. If they took that salt, they needed to get rid of it. If they took that salt, and if we would do it today, if they threw it out in the backyard and it came in contact with the grass or the lawn, it would destroy it. If they took that salt down to the garden spot, poured it as we might today on the butter bean plants or tomato plants or, or the corn, it would destroy it. They found only one use for it. They could take that salt and throw it out in the street. So as Jesus said, it could be trodden on the foot of men because after it had been trodden upon, after it had gotten some moisture in it, whether it be from rain or the dew of the ground, before long it formed a substance that was as hard as what we would consider today to be our modern-day concrete. Made for a wonderful road, a wonderful path. But Jesus is not bragging about it. He says, if the salt, we are that salt, if we have lost our savor, we are henceforth good for nothing than to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. What do you mean, Jesus? What he meant in that day may be different, but I'll tell you what it can mean today. Too many times today, because the salt has lost its savor, because I myself am unwilling to do what Jesus calls for me to do, to perform the duties of pure Saul. Because of that, I'm being walked on by the world. Who's become the whipping boy of society today above everybody else? The Christian. Everyone else has rights. Everyone else is able to get their way. Everyone else, if, if, if you will, can sue their way through a courtroom, can make their case. I didn't ask any questions, but as we passed through Alabama, I found that, Judge Moore in Alabama is running for governor again. Judge Moore is famous in Alabama and I think went on to be nationally famous for trying to get the Ten Commandments put back into the Capitol down there. I'm not agreeing with his religious ideas or anything of the sort, but I'll tell you what, he had a very difficult time even attempting to do that because he called himself a Christian. Why? Because of Saul lost of savior. That's the demise of polluted salt, but here's something we really need to heal, and that is the demand, the demand for preserving salt. I think above all that we mentioned a moment ago, whether it be pleasing, preserving, purifying, whatever, I know that preserving is where we stand today. The world in which we live is always changing. For instance, some of you were full of life enough to remember back around 1962. Remember what happened in 1962? That's when the Supreme Court decided that prayer itself cannot be used in a public school. I thank God that there's still prayer in Philadelphia Elementary. I assume it's the case in the middle of the high school. But do you know we're doing that against the laws of the land? They decided in 1962 that prayer had no use in schools. Do you know what happened in 1963? Things got worse. They said in 1963 that you could not read or publicly display a Bible in public schools in 1963. Do you think that helped our school system or hindered it? In 1980, they decided to ban a displaying of the Ten Commandments in public schools. I think that helped or hindered? I'll tell you, their argument. They said at that time that if these Ten Commandments be displayed, that it might negatively influence our young people. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. How does that negatively influence anybody? The truth is it doesn't. And I'm not just getting down on schools. I'm getting down on the way America has turned to get to that point. It's not the school's fault. Basically what we mentioned, prayer is illegal. God is illegal. His word. His commands are illegal. But you know in our school system, sex education, homosexuality, humanism, and evolution are all legal, accepted, and taught. Jennifer's brother moved not too long ago from San Diego, California, to Wichita, Kansas. He wasn't looking forward to sending his son to school, where in California they were about to mix all the bathrooms because they didn't want to offend anyone, and where his school teacher was going to be a cross dresser who, as of the next year, had every right to wear a dress to teach her classes. That's all legal. It was in 1973, you remember, the blackest day, I believe, in history when nine people we call Supreme Court justices who were actually the high priest of our modern day. Go back and read your New Testament. You'll find out they had people just like them. Their intent was to remove God from everything when they decided that because in their mind a baby was not a baby but yet only a lump of tissue, that that baby could be aborted. Since that time, there have been about 40 million. You probably could look it up today and find out something different. 40 million abortions. And while we've been sitting here, if I've calculated right, there were probably 306 children murdered. That's what's happening in America. So is there a need then or a demand for preserving salt? Obviously there is. Christians like me I've got to do that. Because if I cannot or do not, I have lost my Savior. And to quote Jesus again, I am henceforth good for nothing. Give you another off the wall fact. Do you know it's illegal in the United States today to display a cross in public? Some may do it, but it is illegal unless it's burned. If it's on fire, it's protected, I think, by the First Amendment of free speech. You can do it as you want. But if it's not on fire, it's illegal. I mentioned abortion a moment ago. Do you realize, you do, that our teenage girls, young people, can go down and get an abortion. They can just cut out of school one day, go get an abortion, come back home, ride the bus on back to the house without ever once informing or getting permission from their parents, but if that same child wanted to ride the same school bus to go to the zoo, she'd have to get permission to live sign to do it. There's a demand for preserving salt in its land. I don't know if it'll take rivers of blood and tears to wake us up. I don't know what it'll take to really wake me up. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth, not the salt of the church. We we spend too much time, I spend too much time salting salt when I ought to be the salt of the earth. And if the salt is lost and the it's henceforth good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. I realize that the final judgment of God will come upon Jesus' return. I realize that the final judgment of God will be just that. It will be the final judgment and that it will come sometime in the future, maybe within the moment, maybe within this breath here, and maybe several millennium away or longer. But I tell you something, the judgment of God has already come down on this country. You say, how could that be? How does that align with Scripture? More times than not, the judgment of God is where God just simply gives the people what they want. He's giving us what we want today. Not what Christians want, but what Christians are willing to allow to happen. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a child of God. You are not the salt to which he speaks. This entire Sermon on the Mount that goes from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 has nothing at all to do with the unsaved person other than preparing he or she to live that life of salvation. When he speaks to you, he does not say, you are the salt of the earth. You have not become that salt as of yet, and so perhaps you desire to be it through faith that you have in God, that is to believe, to rely upon Him with every ounce of your being, you can come to a place where you're now willing to repent of your sins. We have them, I have them, I know. The Bible says we all do. Through confessing the name of Christ, being baptized into His blood, we can put on Christ, have our sins to be washed away, and become that pure salt. Oh, but be careful. There is a demise that can come where I can lose my or my saving ability, both for my own soul and those around about me. And if that be the case, I must always know there is always a demand for me. So if I can come home. If you're here this morning, you're a child of God. And you can't honestly say that you, your life, just the way that you live, not what you say, but what you do in life, if I cannot say... That it is that which pleases and preserves and promotes, penetrates, and all that we mentioned. If I can't say that, then I'm not anything close to what Jesus spoke at all today. You can come home this morning through your repentance. We're praying to God for forgiveness because it's time for the salt to work. Won't you do it while we stand and sing?